And in the same region where there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. We come today to the very end of this section, and we read a phrase that says, on earth and peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom is God pleased. There was a man whose name was Algeron Sidney who wrote a book defending a Republican form of government called Discourses Concerning Government in 1680. And he dropped in that book the little phrase, God helps those who helps themselves. And old Algeron didn't know that his book would be the book of the year in 1680 in England. But more recently, there are polls that we can read from Barna and from the Pew Research Center that says that the majority of strongly committed Christians believe that the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. Do you believe that? It's only 52%. How does the doctrine of God helps those who help themselves stack up against Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 9? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of grace. In the coming ages for all eternity, we will be showing the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, what you cannot do, which is help yourself, God did for you. Old Algeron Sidney was writing a book about politics in England in the 1680s, and somehow we've cherry-picked that to apply to the spiritual reality of our fallen hearts. The beauty of how God works in our life is that God does not require us to clean ourselves up. Give Jesus that opportunity. He is far better at it. In other words, before you try to help yourself, allow the gospel to truly teach you what it means for God to help those who, in fact, cannot help themselves. You know, it's, it's a little bit like if you were to go to a batting cage and you were to turn up the, the pitching speed. You know, there's some baseball players in the room. You turn the, the pitching speed up to the highest you can find. You pick the best bat. You get the best coach. You get the best equipment. And you walk up there and you're ready for the pitch. And it comes to you and throw, <laughs> whiff. Throw, <laughs> whiff. Throw, whiff, and you miss. And then it's like Jesus comes and he walks in the batting cage and he has like a, he has like a, a, a paint stirrer. And he walks up there and they throw the hardest thing at him and Jesus walks up and he goes, crack. And he hits the ball through the net, out the cage, over the building, across the parking lot, into somewhere in the county. They're still looking for the ball. Jesus can hit the ball you can't hit. Jesus can fulfill what you can't fulfill. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who, in fact, cannot help themselves and admit it and realize that to be true. Christianize your view of where you live. Do not allow your place where you live and the culture to redoctrinate you. God helps only those who admit they cannot help themselves. And why do I talk about this? I talk about this because in verse 14, some of you see there's a little bitty number after the word pleased. Do you see that? On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And there's a little number. In my Bible, it's the number three. And if I look at the bottom of my Bible, you see it says, at least in my Bible, maybe in yours too, it says some manuscripts say peace and goodwill among men. So if this verse were to read, and on earth, peace and goodwill among men, it would, it was, it would be, in fact, saying God helps those who help themselves. God brings his goodwill to men who are just trying their hardest. The difference is that the text says peace among those with whom he is well pleased. The issue here in the original Greek is this. When the original Greek was written, did Luke use the word eudokios, which means 
peace among those with whom he is pleased? Or did he use the word eudokia without the sigma at the end of the letter? Now, I know I'm geeking out for a second, but, but let me take you there if you'll let me. What word did he use? And if you're translating the Bible, you're a scribe and you are, you're translating the Bible and you see this really strange grammatical construction where it says, peace on earth with whom he is pleased. That sounds, it's, it's awkward the way it's written in Greek. It, it, it's strange. It doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It wasn't a common way that you would speak back then. It would be far more common to say peace and goodwill toward men. And so scribes, Somewhere along the line in many translations of the New Testament, drop the sigma off the end of that one little Greek word, eudokia. And so there's a whole family tree of of texts out there that have peace and goodwill toward men. And so the question that scholars ask always is, what was the original word that Luke used in the New Testament? Was it eudokia, peace, um, God's will and peace among men, goodwill toward men, or was it eudokias, that God's peace comes toward those whom, with whom he is pleased? And the difference is eudokia is a nominative and eudokias is possessive. It's a genitive. And so, read, if it's eudokias, which would be awkward, it would read, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you're a scribe and just feels strange and funny, the likelihood that you would change it from an uncommon way to speak to a much more common way is far higher than if the natural reading, the original reading, was a very common way to read and you were to change it to be more uncommon. All of that to say this, There was a Bedouin shepherd who, in the 1940s, stumbled upon a cave called um, the Qumran Caves. And in this cave, they found, littered in this cave, in these little clay jars, what they now know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And up until that time, there was, there was some debate. The majority of scholars believed that the text actually said eudokias, peace among those with whom he is pleased. In other words, God initiates it. He's pleased with some. And there was a minority of scholars even then that said, well, it's peace and goodwill toward all men, some kind of universalism. God loves humanity. And in these these clay jars, they discovered fragments of material that came from the third century BC uh, up until the first century AD. And there were in poems and hymns the use of the word eudokias, And so what the scholars discovered is that what we once thought was kind of an awkward way to speak was actually far more common in the ancient world than they realized. And it only confirmed, here's the point, why am I doing this? To remind you that what you read in your Bibles is true. And there are men who have fought through the study of textual criticism to know exactly as best they can, what the original language was. And in this case, it doesn't say peace and goodwill toward men. It says peace and goodwill toward those with whom he is pleased, which takes us back to the original question. With whom is God pleased? And to understand that question, you must understand who are the ultimate outsiders and who are the ultimate insiders in the Bible. 
shepherds were socially looked down upon in Jesus' day. The first murder in history erupted from a farmer's resentment of a shepherd, Genesis chapter 4. By the time of the New Testament, being a shepherd was a pitiable profession. Their work made them ceremonially unclean. They had a reputation for being untrustworthy. It wasn't always so. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were shepherds, and they were considered noble. In nomadic societies, everyone, whether a Sikh or a slave, was a shepherd. The sons of the wealthy sons of Isaac and Jacob tended flocks. Jethro, the priest of Midian, employed his daughters as shepherdesses. When the 12 tribes were enslaved in Egypt, the Egyptians were farmers. And the Egyptians despised the ranchers, the shepherds, because the sheep destroyed their crops. And when the Egyptians wrote the history later about how their neighbors, the the Arabians who came and took captive lower Egypt, they looked down their nose, and what did they call them in history? They called them the shepherd kings. Some shepherds like David gave the profession of shepherding a good name, but eventually the job of shepherds regained its cruel stereotype. In the days of the prophets, shepherds symbolized judgment and social desolation, Zephaniah 2, 6. Amos contrasted the high calling of the priests and the prophet with his former role as a shepherd, Amos 7, verse 14. Shepherds were despised in everyday life. They were considered second-class citizens and untrustworthy. In the intertestamental period before, between Malachi and Matthew, the religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel except on desert plains. In the Mishnah, Judah's, uh, Judaism's written record of the oral law refers to shepherds as first incompetent. Another place says that no one ever should feel obligated to rescue a shepherd even if he Shepherds could not fulfill judicial offices. They could not be admitted into court as witnesses. One scholar documents that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. To buy wool or milk or a kid, quote, from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property, the Talmud teaches. So needless to say that by the time the angel appears to pronounce the birth of Jesus, He doesn't pronounce it to the senators. He pronounces it to the shepherds. The greatest news of the world comes to those who are the dregs of society, to the unclean, to the sinners, to the untrustworthy, to the outcast, to the most pitiable people in that culture, second only to lepers. But here they are. The night shift, nobodies. They had little chance of moving up in life, and God changes all of that. Instead of being on the bottom of the ladder, God says to them, I'm going to give you the news first. In my economy, I turn the world's orders upside down. You're worthy, shepherds. And people at Trinity... Some of you who are the equivalent of the shepherds, the night shift, no. The gospel, 
The gospel says to you, you're worthy. The gospel is no respecter of persons. It's that Jesus were to say to us, I've come for you. For grace, you have been saved. It is a gift of God so that no one should boast. The low were lifted up and the high are brought down. Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 has already been fulfilled. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. That wasn't just speaking about Mary. It's also speaking about the ones that would receive the gospel. The news is for them. They have become God's messengers who he sent an angelos, an angel to them, so that they would then go and angelos others, share the message with others. They have a new dignity. And these shepherds who looked after the temple lambs, it's beautiful, were the first ones to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because verse 15, if you read on in your Bible, says what? They arranged their affairs, they figured out how to keep their sheep contained, and they ran, they went to go and see the baby. So outsiders, welcome. Those of you who society has said are to be pitied, welcome. The gospel is for you. In fact, it is the outsiders who admit that they cannot save themselves, who God, by his sheer grace, comes to you and initiates and gives you the word, allows you to become the ultimate insiders. And conversely, it's those who believe themselves to be the insiders who look out this Christmas, you may find that you're actually ultimately on the outside. For whom did Jesus reserve his fiercest language? The religious, the Pharisees. Do you remember the story in John chapter eight? Jesus just preached this, this beautiful story to the Pharisees. In the Pharisees, you know, Jesus said, if you abide in my word and you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And these Jewish men went up to Jesus and they had the chutzpah to say, what do you mean we'll be enslaved? We're not enslaved to anybody. And Jesus could have said, well, it didn't work out very well with Egypt didn't work out very well with Greece. It didn't work out very well with Rome. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to the outside. Jesus actually goes to the inside, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever sins is a slave to sin. And these Jews knew that they were sinners. That's why they were scrubbing their reputation as much as they could through the law all of their life. They went to synagogue every week. They prayed a lot. They obeyed the Old Testament law. Paul says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, blameless. Like they made a whole cottage industry of taking Scripture and multiplying the commands so that they could walk in step with God's will for their life. And that was a noble pursuit to pursue holiness. But somewhere along the way, they lost the forest for the trees, and they missed the good news of the gospel. And so they are shocked that Jesus would hang out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and Samaritans who have another temple. The Pharisees were confident, and yet they were the target of Jesus' strongest admonition. And they thought that they deserved to be insiders, but they lacked what? 
They lacked assurance of God's love for them. Algernon Sidney was their patron saint. God helps those who help themselves. And so day by day, they try to pull their boots up by themselves. Awaiting the day when Jesus would come and be, or the Messiah would come and be a political ruler. And Jesus came in so much differently than they expected, fulfilling every one of their Old Testament prophecies with beauty and grace that they missed. They were waiting for another Maccabean revolt where the true Judas Maccabees would come and deliver Israel once and for all from their oppressors. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He who sins is a slave to sin. The problem, oh, religious ones, those of you who think you're inside are the inside. And you say, well, I'm not going to put myself under Jesus' yoke. I'm not going to submit to his authority. I'm not going to trust God at his word. Okay, well, to what yoke will you submit yourself that won't leave you in deeper bondage? You'll be ruled by sex, money, your own intuition, modern scholarship. You're going to be ruled by something. Just be honest about what that something is. And Jesus says to the outsiders like the shepherds and to the insiders, the church-going crowd of the day, he says, welcome. It is by grace that you've been saved. Because true shalom comes among those with whom he is pleased. So is there any hope? That's the big question. With whom is he pleased? He is pleased with those whom he has called and chosen. And the good news of that is, is there any hope for you? Yes. Are you called and chosen? Do you want to run to Jesus like those shepherds did in verse 15 to go see the baby? Then yes, believe. You're chosen. You're called. A lady one time went up to Charles Spurgeon and said, this whole stuff about being chosen in the Bible, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm worried that I'm not chosen. And he said to her, oh, ma'am, thank you so much for your question. But people who are not chosen don't even care about questions like that. The good news, outsiders, is that you can ultimately be an insider. And the good news, insiders, is that you can truly be an ultimate insider if you look at Jesus, who was the true king who gave up all the riches of his glory and grandeur to become a shepherd among his people, the great shepherd. King David was a shepherd who became a king, and the true David was the king for all eternity who gave up his father's throne above, so free and full of grace, and he became the great shepherd to rule and to provide the protection that you needed. And did we say thank you to him? No, we pierced him upon the cross, and our great shepherd was crucified for you so that in seeing Jesus on the cross, you see the ultimate insider become the ultimate outsider for you so that you can come in, outsiders. You can come in, insiders. And so this Christmas, outsider or insider, rejoice. He's come for you. Believe. Go. Because we are all outcasts. We are all foreigners. We are all aliens. We are all poverty-stricken. We are all outside of his covenant of grace. 
but God. Provided everything for you. When you realize that you cannot help yourself spiritually, only in trust and faith in Christ, can you truly find yourself satisfied at the deepest level, which is what the word shalom, peace, arene in Greek, shalom in Hebrew, whole experience of peace, not just political, not just spiritual, not just physical, total peace, which he promises when he comes again to make everything new. So welcome, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus sits with you. Welcome tax collectors and sinners. Jesus eats with you. Welcome Pharisees. Jesus has strong words for you. Swallow them, take them in, lower your ego, and come to the table. Because God brings outsiders and insiders in. He doesn't care about what's on the outside. He's renewing us from the inside out. Because peace comes to those with whom he is pleased. Eudokias, men and women of God's good pleasure, peace awaits you this Christmas. Go see the baby. Arrange your affairs. Don't get distracted. And this morning, you have the opportunity to do that as you come to the table. Children, if you can hear my voice and you believe in Jesus and what he has done for you, please tell your mom and dad about it. Adults, please come tell me or one of the elders about it. Let us celebrate the greatest gift you could possibly imagine this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us as a people, saved by grace, to recognize that those who believe themselves to be on the inside track because of our good works will ultimately find ourselves on the outside looking in. And those who believe themselves to be outsiders who are undeserving of your grace by your grace will find themselves ultimately to be on the inside of your warm embrace because you love sinners who are repentant. And so as we come to this table now, Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for Christmas. Yes, with our families. Yes, with our neighbors. Yes, over gifts. But most importantly, Lord, help us to remember that you have provided for us the greatest gift of the world in the most unexpected way imaginable. Glory in excelsis Deo. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.